Hello, welcome, and thanks for checking in today to No Vacancy, the podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Palmer. I'm an Airbnb ambassador and 17-time super host, and I've hosted over 1,000 reservations. I'm a stay-at-home mom of two under two and manage my eight listings remotely. My mission is to help new and experienced vacation rental hosts turn their listings into fully booked, profitable properties that can be managed from anywhere, so you too can have no vacancies. If that sounds good to you, let's get right into the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of No Vacancy, the podcast. As you are listening to this, I am currently in Nashville for the Short-Term Rental Wealth Conference. Next week's episode is going to be a recap of all the gems that I've been soaking in these few days, everything I'm taking away with me. So I cannot wait to bring you so much goodness next week. But for today's episode, we are going to talk about what to do when you have to give your guests some bad news, when you have to say no to them how to do this tactfully while still maintaining those good reviews and good hospitality and a good hosting experience. So I have four tips for you on how to say no in the classiest way possible to your Airbnb guests. Number one, and this is my favorite one of the four I'm going to give you today. This is what you should strive to do in every case. You'll see it's not always possible, which is why we've got three other tips after this one. But number one is to say yes with a different offering. So for example, if a guest books five nights and asks you for a discount and you offer a weekly discount that kicks in after seven nights, instead of just saying, no, we can't accommodate a discount for your stay, say, yes, we would love to offer a length of stay discount of 10%. That is a discount that we include. It will automatically be applied to all reservations of seven nights or longer. So if you'd like to add two more nights to your stay, you will see a 10% discount reflected on the entire reservation. Another way that you could use this tactic is let's say that the guest ran through all of their toilet paper and paper towels way quicker than they should have, and they ask you to restock more. Instead of just saying, no, what we provided is what you get for your trip, you could say something like, yes, we'd be happy to do an extra delivery. What you already ran through is what we provide for every standard reservation, but we can absolutely drop more off at this rate. I will have to compensate my cleaners for their time to bring some additional over, but let me know if you're interested in that and we will schedule that drop off ASAP. Boom, there you go. A possible way to make a little bit of extra money. You're not technically saying no, you're still offering what they asked for, but that way everybody gets fairly compensated and you're kind of setting the precedent that you are not going to be on call for them with no exception that they can just ask you for anything to be dropped off and it magically appears. Perfect way to not just say no and, and be negative about it, but reframe it in a positive way. Now, this technique is not always going to work. For example, if the guest were to ask you for a late checkout and you're not able to accommodate it because you have someone else coming in that same day, so you can't do a late checkout, 
you can't really offer anything else because the guest is effectively leaving. They're about to check out. So you can't really say no, but we can give you this instead, right? They're going to be gone. There's not much more you can offer. So in cases like this, the best way that I have found to say no is to buy yourself a little bit of time. So instead of just straight up telling them, no, you can't have a late checkout. We have people checking in the same day tomorrow. I always tell them, hey, let me check in with my cleaner and see if they are able to move anything in their schedule so that we can get you a late checkout. I can't guarantee anything, but I'll check with them right now. After that, I would wait about 30 minutes before you respond back to the guest and let them know that you're not able to accommodate that late checkout. I have found that this technique works really, really well. In some cases where you just know you're not going to be able to accommodate it, but you don't want to just seem like you didn't try anything, buy yourself some time, tell them you have to check in with people and you will let them know. And then in 30 minutes, just say, hey, I am so sorry. I did ask my cleaner, but there's just no way that we're able to reschedule things tomorrow. We do have guests arriving the same day, so we have to enforce our checkout time of 11 a.m. Every time I've done this, the guests have been super understanding and said, no worries, we get it. Thank you anyways for trying. What I also like about this answer is that it kind of plants back into the guest's mind that it's not really up to you. There's more moving parts at play here. It's not just as easy as asking you and you saying, for sure, you can stay later, easy peasy, no problem. It just kind of reinforces that it is a business and there are multiple people involved in making each reservation happen. So I I always like in cases like this to kind of sometimes use the cleaners as an excuse or use a handyman as an excuse, uh, just, just to sort of reinforce again that it's more than just me. I do have a confession. I have done this more than a few times where I do tell the guests that I have to reach out to the cleaner to see and I don't reach out to the cleaner. If there is a chance, honestly, that we could accommodate a late checkout, I will. But there are some times that I know there's just no way with our schedule that day. And maybe the next guest already requested an early check-in, so I'm giving that priority. So in cases like that, I don't check in with the cleaner, but these guests don't need to know that. People still want to feel like you tried what you could for them. So I still really like this technique. Maybe this is a little bit of a white lie, but it still works every time. There's no reason that you have to say right away, no, we can't accommodate that late checkout for you. Let them let them feel a little bit like you're trying to work work something out for them. Everybody appreciates that. The next way that I like saying no to guests is deferring back to Airbnb. This is kind of what I'll resort to in cases where the correspondence is getting a little bit more tense or hostile. For example, if a guest were to cancel within the time frame that they are no longer eligible for a full refund and they are trying to push me to give them a refund, I very confidently just say, you can call Airbnb and try to argue it. We are deferring to our cancellation policy. And in those cases, I know Airbnb's policy in and out well enough to know that they don't have a chance at getting a refund. So I can very confidently just tell them, this isn't on me. 
call Airbnb. And I like using this strategy again, sometimes when you're just not able to get through to the guest. I've already tried being friendly with them, reframing the question like we talked about in step one, reframing it into a positive, or I've tried step two where I buy myself a little bit of time and make them think I'm working something out. If that fails, I can always just say, call Airbnb yourself and and let them explain it to you if you don't believe me. So that's the third way I like to say no is just sort of fall back on Airbnb. They're taking 3% of your earnings. So let, let them work for it sometimes. It's okay to tell the guests, call Airbnb and make Airbnb be the fall guy for you. Especially in these cases where the dispute with you and the guest is coming down to nitty gritty policy type matters. That is what Airbnb is there for. Let them take the fall for this. That being said, this strategy is only going to work if you do know Airbnb's policy really, really well. You don't want to send the guests their way and find out that it backfires and that you're actually in the wrong. So if you're going to attempt anything like this, you better be very clear on Airbnb's policy. Best way to do that, read it up for yourself or... Stay subscribed to this podcast, tune in every week because every week I'm always giving you guys more and more information about Airbnb and the ins and outs of that platform. And the fourth way that I like to say no to guests is to sometimes just flat out say no. I know that I just gave you different strategies that are a little bit more approachable and friendly and have you reframing it into a positive, have you buying yourself some time and make it seem like you're really working out for something or having Airbnb back you up. Sometimes though, you just have to say no. And my best tip here is in those cases when you are between a rock and a hard place, you don't have any other options and you have to say no, the worst thing you can do here is start over explaining yourself. I know it's counterintuitive and you're thinking, okay, if I can give them an explanation, they'll get it. They'll be on my side. What I have found is that the more and more I would try to sometimes explain things, the more it gives guests a way to poke holes in your argument and fight back and try to negotiate. So a really classic example of this is if a potential guest is asking you to waive the cleaning fee for them and they say something like, hey, you know, we we will leave it really clean, we'll do the cleaning, whatever it might be. If you start putting a lot of explanation into why you cannot waive the cleaning fee, you will see they will start trying to push back. So if you were to say, I'm sorry, but we are not able to discount our cleaning fee because we have a very precise way that we clean, they're going to call you out and say, that's okay. Give us the cleaning checklist that you give your cleaners. We are able to copy it and we are professional house cleaners, so we can definitely do it. I have literally had people tell me that before. What if you were to say, oh, you know, we are not able to discount it because we pay our cleaners a living wage and we have to make sure they're compensated for the time they work. Seems like a good excuse. No, your guests will pick that apart and they will they will start saying, well, if we leave it clean enough, you don't need to book them for the full amount of time anymore so you can pay them for fewer hours of working. Trust me, I have seen guests try this every which way. The, the more that you explain yourself, the more they are able to tear that explanation apart and try to fight back. So now when somebody asks me to discount a cleaning fee, I just straight up say our cleaning fee is non-negotiable. 
that's it. There is no no way you can poke holes in that or fight me back on it. And if that's a problem, they're just not going to book. I will tell you though, most guests still end up booking when I say something like that. And they end up being fine. I think people just like to see what they can get away with. And if you show that you can be firm early on, they know, okay, I'm not going to mess with this with this host. I liked this place anyway. I just wanted to see what I could get. Clearly, I can't get a discount. I'm just going to book it. So despite the last three strategies I told you where there are some more friendly, more approachable ways to say no, sometimes you really just have to put it out there, just be firm. And the biggest trap here is falling into over explaining yourself, feeling like you have to give all these reasons for why you're saying no. I've really seen this backfire so many times. I've experienced it myself. You're just giving your guests more and more opportunities to pick your argument apart. So when you really need to say no, and there's no other option, just say no, say it politely and respectfully, but don't get emotion involved and don't offer up reasons on why you have to say no. For this week's Airbnb quick tip, let's talk about safety. I know it's not the sexiest topic out there, but this is so important for your Airbnb. It doesn't just protect your guests, but it's going to protect you as a host. So these are the four things I recommend putting in your listing today or this weekend or next time you go there. Uh, If you do host remotely, have your cleaner pick up these items or whoever your boots on the ground are and make sure you have these four items squared away in your listing. A smoke alarm, a carbon monoxide alarm, a fire extinguisher, and a first aid kit. First of all, having those four things checked off on your Airbnb listing actually completes the criteria in Airbnb that officially makes you a safe listing. So if a guest ever filters their search by safe listings, you will show up in that search. Realistically, I don't think many guests are filtering by that search, but it's still the more amenities that you have checked off. These are four more things that are super easy to get checked off. And the more amenities you have checked off, the higher overall in search rankings you go. So still, it's worth doing those four. Not just that, but don't you, even if you don't get a single additional booking because of having these wouldn't you just want to know that there's a fire extinguisher in your place? It kind of baffles me when I see Airbnbs that don't have them because God forbid, if a guest sets off a fire while they're in my place, I want them to be able to put that fire out. I do not want to get a call that a small little kitchen fire turned into my Airbnb burning down. So just, you know, even if you don't get a single extra booking or anything out of having these four additional things, you you want these in place, okay? If there is a carbon monoxide leak, you want your guests to wake up. I mean, seriously, how horrible would it be? I hate to take it to this place, but imagine... It's the day of checkout and your cleaner walks in to find your guests dead in in bed because there was a carbon monoxide leak and they did not wake up. This is very, very serious stuff. I don't mean to. I, I love my show being lighthearted and uplifting. I don't mean to take it to that place, but these these are four things you absolutely do not want to cut costs on. So again, a smoke alarm, carbon monoxide alarm, fire extinguisher, and first aid kit. Have those four. It's so easy to put them in. There's no excuse not to have them. 
I am going to link in the show notes below the first aid kit that I recommend. This is the one I use in all of my listings. It's from Amazon. It's like $8 and it has everything that you need in it. Um, I love it too because it's a small and compact one. So even if you are hosting a tiny home or a glamp site with not a lot of storage, you can fit this one. There's no reason not to have it. So I will link that in the show notes. And also, if you do need a smoke alarm, and carbon monoxide alarm. Airbnb actually has a free program you can apply to where every host can receive a free, one free combination smoke detector and carbon monoxide alarm. So if you need to put one in, absolutely apply for this. I will link that also in the show notes below so you can apply for yours. It's super easy. It's literally free. They cover shipping and everything. All you have to do is put in your shipping address and I think they just verify that you're actually a host and you will receive yours. So there is literally no excuse not to have these in place. That is my quick tip for you this week. Check off those four safety features. It will give you peace of mind. Your guests will appreciate having them and it will help boost you a little bit in search rankings. For this week's question of the week, I was asked, what are my thoughts on influencers asking to stay in your Airbnb in exchange for exposure? How do I feel about that? Do I think it's worth it? How would I approach it? All all the things. So let's get into it. I absolutely think that influencer marketing can be worthwhile in your Airbnb, but here's what you want to consider before you just start giving away free stays to anybody who tells you they have a big following. So let's pose the scenario. Somebody reaches out to you through Airbnb interested in booking, or maybe even through social media. This could happen if you have an Instagram account or a TikTok for your Airbnb or your short-term rental. Somebody may reach out there. But either way, somebody gets in contact with you and says something along the lines of, hey, we are really interested in staying in your place. We love it. Uh, we happen to be full-time content creators or influencers, whatever that may be, and we would love to stay in the property for free in exchange for exposure. Is that something you'd be willing to do? So you get this message. How do you handle it? First thing you'll want to do before offering any dates or any sort of discount, you want to verify that if this is something that you embark in, this, this exchange of goods, this person is legit. So first thing you're going to want to do is ask them for their brand kit, media kit, or press kit. This can go by different names. People refer to it by different things, but if they are truly an influencer, they will know what that is. And for any of you who don't know, a brand kit, press kit, or media kit is basically just a one-page flyer sort of with all of your stats on it as an influencer. It's basically the content creator version of a resume. So what it's going to have on it is the total number of followers that you have across all social media platforms, whether that's Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, whatever it might be. Um, It's also going to feature your engagement rate. So how many likes you're getting per the number of followers you have, how many views you're getting on your reels or TikToks, how many comments you're getting. Also, it should show you other brands that this influencer or content creator has worked with. In some cases, they might be just trying to start up and build a portfolio. So I personally would not be deterred if they haven't worked with any brands before. But uh, in most cases, once they have built up a reputation, it will feature some brands and partnerships they've had in the past. 
And the final thing that a brand kit is going to tell you, and in my opinion, this is what is going to be the most valuable to you as an Airbnb host considering a partnership like this. The final thing that a brand kit will tell you is about that influencer's audience, what the demographics are, what the age group is, who follows them, what gender primarily, where they are located, uh, what what income class they might be, that is what you really need to know, what their hobbies are, what their interests are, that is what you really need to know as an Airbnb host. Now, I will tell you that just in asking for a brand kit, you are already going to eliminate 90% of the people that are reaching out to you for a free stay in exchange for exposure. Um, I have had I mean, countless dozens of times that people have reached out to me asking if they can stay in our place for free in exchange for exposure. And just by saying, hi, we're definitely open to something like this. Could you send over a copy of your brand kit? Just by doing that, I have had probably 90% of people just ghost me and never reply with any sort of brand kit. So that right there, you know, is, is good. We dodged a bullet, definitely would not have been a worthwhile partnership. If they are willing to provide a brand kit, awesome. I would definitely consider an opportunity like this. So again, you're going to want to look through, does it show their engagement rates? They're following all their statistics. Does it show any previous brands that they've worked with? And what does it say about their audience? Now, this is why I say that focusing on what it shows about their audience is going to be the most important of those three to you as an Airbnb host. Of course, make sure that the engagement looks legit too, and that they don't just have a bunch of bots following them and they didn't purchase followers or likes. But if that looks good, what's really important here more than the brands they've partnered with or anything like that is who is their audience? Because if you've got somebody who maybe has a million followers but their followers are all Gen Z people, not to knock on Gen Z, but if they're all Gen Zers that are 20 years and younger still in high school, and this this influencer that reached out to you mostly posts content about, I don't know, prank videos that they do with their friends or cheesy TikTok dances, and most of their followers are high schoolers, that audience is not going to translate into a group that is able to afford traveling to your place, booking a place, or even a group that you that you want to stay there. I don't know about you, but I'm not trying to appeal to 16-year-olds here booking my place. I don't even think legally they're allowed to without an adult present. So it does not matter to me that that influencer has a million followers. Even if their engagement is through the roof, their audience demographic has nothing to do with me. They are very, very unlikely to convert to paying customers in the future. I would way rather give a free stay to maybe a local food blogger. My listings are in Big Bear, California, so we are 90 minutes out from LAOC San Diego. I would way rather give a free stay to a OC food blogger with 20,000 followers rather than this TikTok star with a million followers because an OC food blogger, their primary audience is going to be other people in Orange County that like going out, like trying new places. They're going to different restaurants. They're eating at different places. If I have an OC food blogger come up to Big Bear and post about it and post about being in my space, and maybe she puts together a bunch of recommendations on where to eat up in Big Bear, 
boom, that is likely to convert. So make sure, do not get caught up in just the flashy number of how many followers they have or what their engagement rate is. Still look at that just to verify that they did not buy all these followers and it's not a scam account, but as long as the engagement rate and everything looks solid, what you really want to focus on is their their follower demographic. That is way more important than the flashy number of followers they have. Now, the next thing to consider before entering a partnership like this would be what are they actually going to deliver in exchange for the stay? You do not just want to say, yeah, come on up stay in our place for free and and you know post about us online. That is not enough. You need to very clearly spell out in writing what are the deliverables. So if that is while you're in our place, you will film two TikToks or two reels. You would also do at least 10 posts on your stories and one static post on Instagram and we will be tagged in all of it. Something like that. That is a deliverable. There are so many ways that these deliverables can be structured. A lot of it will depend on what the influencer specializes in. Um, If they are a YouTuber, you could definitely talk about them doing a YouTube video about your place or maybe even just devoting two minutes at the beginning of their next video or if they vlog about their stay to highlight you and link to your Airbnb. So it's it's really up to you how you want to structure this. Try not to, one thing I'll caution you is try not to control the content too much because that is what the influencer is specializing in. That is their job and they know how to produce content that resonates with their audience. So of course it's okay to say that you want to see the final version before it goes out, um, but really try not to dictate too much how the content is actually produced. But of course that nailing down that list, that bullet point list itemized of what they're actually giving you, that you must have before any deal is agreed upon. And the final thing that I would definitely advise before entering into a partnership like this is don't give away a weekend or especially like a peak holiday weekend or spring break or anything like that. Most content creators and influencers do not work a Monday to Friday, nine to five job. There is no reason that they would have to come on a weekend and take up those prime days for you. This is the kind of arrangement that is a perfect way to take advantage of slow season, of weeknights, of nights that are unlikely to get booked. That is a perfect way to take advantage of those and give away some nights for free for partnerships that you think will pay off. Don't give up a weekend for this and... In my opinion, any actual legitimate influencer would not even ask you to. They would understand that this is a business for you as well. This is a partnership. Both of you have to be getting something out of it. So if they do inquire about a weekend, I would just say something like, hey, we are not able to do any influencer stays or free comp stays on weekends. We'd be happy to host you Monday through Wednesday, especially during our slow season. So we can reach back out to you next month when things are a little bit slower. Right now during our peak season, we're not able to accommodate this. For this week's Am I the Airbnb Hole, I have to prepare you. I have never seen anything like this, ever. In all the listings I've looked at, all the Airbnbs I've stayed at, all the hosts I've talked to, I have never seen anything like what I'm about to read to you. So as usual, I found this post on a hosting Facebook group I'm in. There is a woman on there, we'll call her Erin. 
So Erin is also a fellow Airbnb host, but she just checked into an Airbnb as a guest. And this is what she posted as a guest. Erin said, I've stayed in 20 plus Airbnbs over the years. This is the longest checkout instructions I've ever seen. Yes, no problem. I will take sheets off the bed, wash my dishes, take out trash, etc. But you want me to do this and charge me a $100 cleaning fee? So surprised none of the reviews mentioned this, but we certainly will. This level of cleaning is not what someone expects when on vacation. Now, let me read. She attached a picture of these checkout instructions going beyond the sheets off the bed, washing dishes, and taking out trash. I'm going to read you these checkout instructions now. And truly, this is... I wish I had found this for last week's episode because if you guys listened last week, we talked all about how to structure your checkout instructions so people actually follow them. And my my takeaway advice was don't have more than three steps, basically. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. This host. Okay, let's let's read these. <laughs> I can't. I can't even read these with a straight face. Okay, here we go. There's There's 10 steps. What to do before you leave. One, strip beds and put used sheets on top of desk in the sunroom. Okay. Two, make up beds with clean linens. Spare sheets are in the black armoire in the living room. Three, put dirty white towels in washer and use half a cup of bleach. We will wash the red towels. Four, vacuum concrete floors and carpet. Vacuum found in back bedroom middle closet. The clasp to the vacuum doesn't work. Secure lid with rubber band and clasp with scotch tape. Be sure to dump vacuum refuse into barrel on north side of the house and put away when you are done. So now I need a compass to properly throw away the vacuum debris and your vacuum is broken? If you're going to ask me this, at the very least, have a working vacuum. But I need a compass now because I have to friggin' figure out where the north side barrel is of the house. Okay. Number five. We're not done yet. You guys, we're still only on number five. Number five, mop concrete floors with half cup of pine salt or fabuloso to half a pail of warm water. Rinse mop in kitchen sink with screen over opening. Bucket and mop are found in the outside storage closet with the washer and dryer. Six, clean all dishes, dry and put away. Use alcohol blue plastic bottle under the sink or bottled water with Clorox to clean countertop surfaces in kitchen, living room, and bathroom. Seven, clean bathroom bowl with toilet cleaner and sink and tub with Clorox spray. Rinse sink and tub with clear water. Eight, dump paper trash. Get ready for this one. Dump paper trash in barrel and burn if the wind isn't blowing. She wants you to set your trash on fire before checking out. Number nine, haul out all other garbage. Number 10, remove food from refrigerator and haul away. Wow. Wow. I mean, wow. I, 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 I don't, you guys, I've never seen anything like this. And I mean, when I was recording last week's episode, I've seen some pretty strict checkout instructions. This is on a whole nother level. I actually read this post to my husband earlier today and I said like, Eric, should I put this as my, am I the Airbnb whole segment? And he said, 
he didn't believe me at first. And he said, oh no, those must be the, the cleaning instructions for the cleaner, not for the guest. And I was like, okay, maybe they are. Maybe you're right. Because this is so over the top for a guest. So I was like, yeah, maybe you're right. And they are for the cleaner. And somehow this guest, Erin, just got confused and somehow, you know, thought it was her checkout instructions. But no, when you read it back, this is for sure for the guest because she, the woman even says what to do before you leave. Step one, strip beds and put used sheets on top of the desk in the sunroom. So that would not be the instructions for the cleaner, right? Because presumably presumably the cleaner is going to come in and have to move those used sheets. Then also they say, wash the one load of white towels with half a cup of bleach. We will wash red towels. So that's implying that a cleaner, a housekeeper is coming in later. So yeah, this is, these are the checkout instructions. This is not what it is for the cleaner. You guys, this host is asking guests to set their trash on fire before they leave. What in the world? And I mean, this guest, going back to her comment, she says, I'm so surprised none of the reviews mentioned this, but we certainly will. This level of cleaning is not what someone expects when on vacation. Agreed. This is so over the top, and I am shocked that no other reviews mention it. I really hope that this guest actually does leave a review like that. Needless to say, we know who the Airbnb hole is this week, and it is clearly this host who is out of her freaking mind. To the guest, Erin, I hope that she did not follow these checkout instructions. I don't care if it gets her a bad review as a guest. She has no reason at all to be cleaning up to to the extent of, of these instructions. She is on vacation, and I hope to God that she did not follow these steps. Still leave it clean, still be respectful, but I hope she did not follow these steps. Very clear this week, very obvious one, who the Airbnb hole is. And with that, it is now checkout time. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you back here next week. Lastly, as Airbnb hosts, we all can appreciate a good five-star review. So you already know a great review on this podcast would mean so much to me. Please subscribe, review, share, and connect with me in the show notes below. Bye!